we are talking about unsung heroes of the faith. Last week we talked about Pua and Shifra. Week before that we talked about Hagar. This week we jump to the New Testament and today I want to talk to you about a man named Ananias. He's not a name that most of us know. He plays a central role in the story of the foundation of the church in the New Testament, but most of us are unfamiliar with his story. But first, first I want to ask you if there's anyone that you disagree with. Anyone at all? What about people you disagree with so strongly that you think that they are doing harm to you or to your family or to our nation? What about people that you disagree with so strongly that you hate them? Before we get to Ananias, a little bit about Saul. Saul, as we hear the story, was a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament and the law remarkably well. And he was committed zealous, gung-ho for the rules of the synagogue and the temple. He's committed to his faith. We honor and we, we lift up those who have commitment, the courage of their convictions. And Saul was so convicted of the truth of his message, that he set out to quash those who were saying otherwise. Those who were corrupting the truth as he understood it of the God of Israel, followers of this new sect called the Way. He got permission from the temple and synagogue leaders to identify and call out these followers of the way. The book of Acts tells us that when Stephen, the deacon, was murdered, summarily executed outside the gates of Jerusalem, stoned to death, that Saul was there holding the cloaks, the coats of those who were throwing the stones, looking on with approval. That his job as he went to Damascus was to do the same thing to the followers of the way in Damascus that they had done to the followers of the way in Jerusalem. To bring them out before the public, have them admit their lies, 
and execute them. That's why Saul was going to Damascus. And the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, knew who Saul was. He had a reputation for being indifferent, uncompassionate to those that he was persecuting. He had a reputation for being so committed to what he understood as the truth that he was willing to kill for it. No matter who got in the way. And so it was that Saul winds up in Damascus. The story of what happens on the road, none of the followers of the way know that. They know that this man Saul, this Pharisee, shows up in Damascus. And they're afraid of what he might do. Think about it. Have you ever experienced anyone in your life who wanted you dead? Maybe not personally. How about on a global scale? I mean, imagine Saddam Hussein is living in a house down the street. What's your reaction? Imagine Kim Jong-un is moved in a couple blocks over and is staying with somebody over there. What's your reaction? That's where the followers of Jesus found themselves in Damascus. Face to face with someone who had sworn to annihilate them. Face to face with someone who was so convinced that he was right and they were wrong. And because he was right and they were wrong, he had the right, the responsibility, the obligation to wipe them off the face of the earth. Lord have mercy if that's not how our political discussions sound these days, doesn't it? That I am right, and I am so right, that I can say whatever I want about the people who are wrong. I am right, and I am so right, that I can accuse the people who are wrong of whatever I want. I am right, and because I am right, I can act however I please. That was Saul. Zealous, zealot, committed, convicted. And uh, the people of Damascus were not particularly happy that he was there. And God shows up to a man named Ananias. And God says to Ananias, Hey, Ananias, I got a job for you. I want you to go to the house down the street. 
and pray with this man who has sworn to kill you. And Ananias gives the only reasonable reply. Hey God, I don't think you know who you're talking about. Hey God, you've got the wrong guy. Hey God, not Saul. Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what he's sworn to do? But God says, no, go. Go and take care of Saul. Pray for him. Heal him through your prayers. And so Ananias does. And because Ananias does, Paul goes on to take the gospel message to Galatia and Ephesus, to Corinth and Philippi and Rome. Paul goes on to spread the way beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Palestine, to the farthest reaches of the known world, this same person goes on to proclaim the good news and grow the church. Because Ananias went and loved someone who hated him. Because Ananias went to the place where God was calling him even when he didn't want to go. Paul went on to proclaim the good news not just to Jewish people, but to Gentiles. People outside of Israel, people like you and me. Paul went on to do that because a man named Ananias swallowed his fear, swallowed his pride, and went and prayed for someone who wished him dead. That's what it means to be a follower of the way. That's what it means to follow this disciple, this, this, this savior named Jesus. To love the people who don't deserve love because God first loved us. It's Mother's Day in the United States. A day when we talk about what love looks like as it was shown to us through our mothers. Now, not everybody has a fantastic mother, and it's worth admitting that on a day like today, that there are some who this day is hard for. But there are mothers who have shown us what love looks like. And I don't know about you, uh, but I can talk about my mother, about Norma, uh, and I can talk about how I didn't always do things that deserved to be loved. I didn't always follow the example that my parents had set for me, and yet my mother still loved me. Not because of what I had done or not done, but because she's my mother, because it's her calling, 
she is. That's what good motherhood looks like. Good motherhood looks like those women in our lives who love us, not because of what we've done or earned, but because it's who they are. And when we're lucky, it's our mothers. But sometimes it's also a godmother or a grandmother or an aunt or a neighbor or an adoptive mother or a stepmother or a foster mother or a single dad. But that's what mothering love looks like. That's how God loves us. God loves us as a mother loves us. God loves us not because of what we've done or who we are or what we've earned, but because that's who God is. That's what God calls us to do. There are people that we love to hate. We've all got them. There are people who are so wrong in contrast to the things that you and I know are right that we might wish terrible things on them. Maybe, maybe we're not heading out to be the executioner, but maybe we kind of silently hope that something bad befalls them. And those, like Ananias, those are the people that God calls us to love. Not because they deserve our love, not because they've done great and wonderful things. They may have done terrible things, but they are the ones that God calls us to love because that's who God calls us to be. We love not because others deserve our love, but because it's who we are. Because that's how God first loved us. That was the impossible task that Ananias had. Ananias, who was called to love and pray for the hated persecutor, Saul. So maybe it starts there. I invite you this week to look at your list, the people that you love to hate, the ones who wish terrible things on you, the ones who perhaps you would have a little bit of schadenfreude, joy if something terrible happened to them. I want you to look at that list. And I want you to commit to pray for each one of them every day. To commit to pray that God's will is done in their lives. To commit to pray that they experience the good things in their life that you want to experience in yours. To commit to pray for them that they experience love in their lives. So we celebrate the ordinary heroes today who do extraordinary things. We remember our mothers ordinary mothers with extraordinary love. We are called to the same, to extraordinary love in these ordinary lives that we live.